We all know that the Christian feast of Pentecost is a celebration of the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Apostles. This story is told in the New Testament book of Acts. But did you know that there's a Pentecost celebrated in the Old Testament as well? The original celebration was an agricultural feast. Later, they came to be a celebration of the giving of the law. So, if we see the gift of the Holy Spirit as a gift of the spiritual law, then the New Testament celebration of Pentecost seems to be a fulfillment of the Old Testament celebration. However, on the day of Pentecost, the Gospel reading that the Orthodox Church assigns to us is about the Feast of Tabernacles. Huh? Did the Church get the feasts mixed up? Or is something more going on? The bottom line? Like Dorothy pulling back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz, the Church's combination of the Feast of Pentecost with the Feast of Tabernacles allows us to also pull back the curtain to see greater depth of the feasts. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. On the Feast of Pentecost, Christians celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Acts tells the story in a brilliant fashion. This is from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Judeans from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Judeans and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. At first, you might think the stage is set for a horror movie. Noise and wind, rage in the background, then tongues. Yes, it's the same word in Greek for that thing in your mouth. Tongues suddenly appear among the disciples. But these aren't ordinary tongues. They were fiery tongues. 
And when a tongue came to rest on a disciple, he began to speak in a different language. If you'd been there in the midst of all this commotion, you would have sworn that they were all drunk. Of course, they weren't. Finally, Peter steps up and explains what's going on. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then Peter continues, You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attests to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up, and all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you both see and hear. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, and then 32 through 33. For Peter, it was like Dorothy pulling back the curtain to see the real Wizard of Oz. Behind that curtain, Peter saw that Christ's death was more than an execution of a common criminal, which is, after all, what it looks like on the surface. The reality is that Christ's death is a part of a spiritual war, and Christ wins it by trampling down death by death. This is what Christians celebrate on the Feast of Pentecost, which is known in the Old Testament as the Feast of Weeks. In its original Old Testament form, this feast was an agricultural feast, and then later it became a celebration of the giving of the law by God to Moses, which is how it's celebrated today in the Jewish tradition. For us as Christians... Instead of celebrating the giving of the law to Moses, we celebrate the giving of the spiritual law through the Holy Spirit, a law written on our hearts. This makes sense. Both events form God's people. The Israelites in the Old Testament and the church assembly, or the new Israel, in the New Testament. Both are events where God makes his will known to his people, And this becomes the boundary markers 
for his people, a way of making them distinct amidst others around them. So Pentecost is essentially a fulfillment of the Old Testament feast. So the giving of the law to Moses foreshadows the giving of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But the Gospel reading, the Church assigns for the Feast of Pentecost, is John 7, verses 37 through 52, and then 8, 12. And this has nothing to do with Pentecost. Instead, it's a story about Jesus celebrating a different feast altogether, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus does speak a bit about the Holy Spirit, but he also seems to get sidetracked and starts talking about water and light as well. Here's the reading. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some asked, Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the temple police went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why did you not arrest him? The police answered, Never has anyone spoken like this. Then the Pharisees replied, Surely you have not been deceived too, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, they are accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them, asked, Our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? They replied, Surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search, and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Now, I don't remember Acts mentioning any water or light, do you? So why would the church pick a reading for Pentecost that is actually about the Feast of Tabernacles instead? Is understanding Pentecost in light of the Feast of Tabernacles a glimpse behind the curtain? Well, I think it does pull back the curtain and allows us to see the Wizard of Oz and gives us a deeper understanding of Pentecost. It's infused with meaning and it draws us closer to God. So this means that the selection of John 7 and that one verse in chapter 8 isn't random. Pentecost is, most of all, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus does mention that here. Here's John 7:39 again. Now this he said about the Holy Spirit, which those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. On the surface, 
I think we get it. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the people of the church in the same way water is poured out of a container. But this really doesn't help us understand the meaning of the feast. It's simply a metaphor. Because many of us aren't familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles, we miss a lot of the connections Jesus makes between the two feasts. As a consequence, we don't fully get it. The curtain remains in the way. If we understand the Feast of Tabernacles during Jesus' time, that would help us understand why the Church picked this reading for Pentecost. And it will help us gain a deeper understanding. So let's take a look. The Feast of Tabernacles is first mentioned in the Old Testament. There we learn, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord offerings by fire, burnt offerings, and cereal offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day. You shall dwell in booths, also called tabernacles, for seven days. All that are native in Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's Leviticus chapter 23, verse 37, and then 42 through 43. Here's where we see three important images. Booths, water, and light. Oh my. Let's take a look at the significance of each of these with an eye towards the first century, the time of Jesus. First, the booths. The booths, or tabernacles, is where the feast gets its name. In Hebrew, the word booth is sukkah. As a part of the feast, God instructed each family member to make and live in a temporary shelter or booth. This reminded the people of the 40 years the Hebrews lived in booths as they wandered in the desert. Though they had been freed from slavery, it took them a while to make their home in the promised land. In Jewish synagogues, this is still done today. They make booths in their front lawns. Leviticus also mentions drink offerings. By the time of Jesus, here's how that worked. Priests from the temple would go down to the pool of Siloam, which, by the way, was just mentioned in the Sunday of the Blind Man. And then those priests would draw water from it with golden pitchers. They then took this water to the temple and poured it out in libation around the foot of the altar. Many people saw this as a fulfillment of Isaiah. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 12, 3. On top of that, it was also a prayer for rain. Having rain is important. It helps ensure a healthy crop, which in turn provides food for your family. Also, water sustained the Hebrews in the desert. They crossed through water, the Red Sea, to gain their freedom from the Egyptians. Bitter water was made sweet and drinkable when Moses threw a piece of wood into it. And finally, water flowed from the rock in the desert when Moses hid it with his staff. In short, when you're in the desert... Water is your salvation. Finally, Leviticus mentions offerings by fire. In the first century, light played an important role in this feast. Four large menorahs stood in the precincts of the temple. Each was 75 feet high and had four golden bowls on the top. 
Every day, priests took several liters of oil up ladders to fill these bowls, and wicks, made from old, used clothing from the priests, were placed in each bowl and lit. This, of course, provided an awesome presence of light in the evening. During the feast, people danced around the menorahs with torches, while harps, lyres, cymbals, and trumpets provided lively music. Just as with the booths and the water, light also has a connection to the Exodus account. Moses was called by God at a burning bush. Then after the Hebrews were freed, they were led through the desert by a pillar of fire. The fire symbolized that God was with them and leading them along their way while they were in the wilderness. So now let's take a look at Pentecost in comparison to the Feast of Tabernacles. We're slowly drawing the curtain back and getting a glimpse of Oz, of how the Feast of Tabernacles helps us understand Pentecost. Let's dig in deeper and return to our three categories and look at them one by one. Again, the booths. The Gospel of John from the very beginning has booths in mind. It's just that we miss it in English. In the first chapter, we've all read this verse. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld His glory as of the only Son from the Father. That's John 1, verse 14. But this translation which is the New Revised Standard Version, by the way, obscures the booths, as many translations do. David Bentley Hart, however, brings the booths to the surface. In his translation, he wrote, And the Logos became flesh and pitched a tent among us. So, if we want to translate tent as booth, it would read, And the Logos became flesh and pitched a booth among us. What St. John is doing is drawing on the image of one particular booth, that is, the tabernacle that functioned as a temple when the Israelites were wandering in the desert. The tabernacle, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, was where God's presence dwelt. It's how God was among his people. So with that verse, what John is telling us is that Jesus is the new tabernacle. He is God's presence among his people. But the theme of Pentecost is that God is present among us through the Holy Spirit. Here's how St. Paul puts it. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? That's 1 Corinthians 6.19. In other words, we all become a tabernacle or booth with God dwelling among us. So we move from the booths that the Hebrews lived in to the booth that housed the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence to Jesus making a booth out of human flesh and now to us becoming that booth, which is the presence of God in the world. And this happens because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. This is the connection between tabernacles and Pentecost. This is what we can conclude. Wow. Now let's look at the water. We saw how water represent life to the first century celebrants of the Feast of Tabernacles. With this in mind, we hear Jesus' proclamation in a new way. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. 
That's John seven thirty seven through 38 The rain that feeds our crops, which in turn keeps us alive, is just temporary. The real water is that which comes from Christ, the Holy Spirit. This is the real deal. Jesus didn't just randomly mention water because it's a nice image of the Holy Spirit. He made the connection to water because the Feast of Tabernacles used water as an image of salvation. When the Hebrews were in the desert, the water that flowed from the rock kept them alive. It gave them life. Now Jesus is that rock, and from him flows living water, the Holy Spirit. Wow. And then finally, we come to light. We saw how menorahs were lit in honor of the pillar of fire that led the Hebrews through the wilderness. It's in this context that Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The pillar of fire allowed the Hebrews to walk through the darkness, through the desert, and find a home in the promised land. Jesus is now that light which leads us to the promised land, the kingdom of heaven. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are able to walk the way through the darkness of this world, which is our desert, to find our true home in the kingdom of God. Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Holy Spirit. Even though the story found in John 7 is about Jesus celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, the Church is right to pair it with our celebration of Pentecost. As we've seen, it's a chance for us to draw back the curtain and see Pentecost in a new and refreshing way. The flesh we live in now is nothing but fallen. It's a temporary booth as we wander in the desert of this world. However, the Holy Spirit ensures that God is living with us in the booth. He's giving us light and leading the way. When Dorothy the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion drew back the curtain, they were disappointed. It was only an old man sitting there. But for us, drawing back the curtain reveals a living God who is always at work, breathing his life into us through the Holy Spirit. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. I hope you have a blessed celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. Kronupola, many years to all of you. God bless, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>